0: You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We have been looking into the book of John. So it's like a mini book study for us the past several weeks. And this is the fourth one. And I'd like first to open our Bibles now. Open your Bibles to John chapter 8. So let me just check first. Where would it be best for us to begin? Other than verses 31 to 36. Just turn with me for a while to John chapter 8. Let's begin with verse 31. We'll read down to verse 36. So that's John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36. Later, we'll just look into the specific context of 31 to 36 because you would understand that there is a narrative that we need to take into account if we are going to read 31 to 36. So it says here, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let me just read down to verse 38. I know that you are offspring of Abram, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard your father. Let me just go and start looking to this now. You know, at the turn of 2015, most likely many of you have encountered or are aware of this, but there is a dangerous trend that has been happening, specifically in North America and Europe, and this is a trend that has started perhaps in the year 2015, which is running up until now, and I'm pertaining to what we call a post-truth society. People would say, or scholars, let me just back this up. You know, scholars in universities like Stanford and Harvard would say that we're actually living now in a post-truth era. Our society right now, accordingly, is what we call a post-truth society. Now, let me just say something about that for a while as we start looking to John chapter 8. When they say post-truth, it simply gives us a picture that our world right now, the people around us, or perhaps we ourselves are embracing a pathos kind of truth, which means an emotional truth more than a logos kind of truth, which is a logical truth. It simply gives us a picture that, if you're a student here, you have to be aware of this. We live in a society right now, wherein people are willing to embrace and believe something, even if that something isn't factual. In the absence of evidence, in the absence of science evidence or facts or whatever it is that gives you a ground or a warrant to present something out, even in the absence of that, people are willing to embrace this truth. Now, when we say post-truth, we're not entirely saying that every one of these things are lies. It's just that the value for truth has actually eroded. And you folks know this, if you were once a student, if you have done your thesis before, you know for a fact how much of a rigorous work it will take someone to come up with something that is factual. Now, people aren't willing to do that anymore because they can get actually their emotional truth from TikTok. Without any factual backing to whatever it is that your TikTok superstars are saying, People are actually consider that TikTok is actually a university now. It has become a learning institution. And I think it will make people dumb if that is the case. We live in a post-truth world. People are willing to embrace that which is not true. The problem with that, accordingly, and this is something that we're seeing right now, is that it's beginning to change the political landscape of the world. It has started changing the cultural landscape of different nations of the world, and the sad thing is, it is starting to change even the religious landscape all across the world. I am sharing this because what we have here today is actually talking about truth for that matter. The reason why there is an erosion of truth in our world right now is because there is an erosion as well of institutions, whatever institution that you can think of. You can think of institutions like marriage or the authority of the parents over their children, the authority of universities, or even the authority of the church. When these things get eroded, you lose your guardrails. That's why people are willing to embrace anything that are thrown at them. Now, why are we talking about these things? I do understand that it isn't normal for me to talk about these things. I want you to understand this. Augustine proposed something that is worth contemplating. This was actually backed up by John Calvin himself in his Institutes of Christian Religion. He says, all truths is God's truth. Catch it? All truths is God's truth. Meaning to say, if we ourselves right now, if we are living in a post-truth world right now, it gives us a picture then that the reason for that is there is a deficiency or there is an erosion in the belief of God. All truth is God's truth. Without even exigiting the verses yet, can I give all of us an application as early as now? If you are a Christian, then you have to be a pursuer of truth. Amen. In whatever schemes of, whether it's in the academe, whether it's in social media, whether it's in the political landscape, Christians should be rigorous in searching for the truth. Allow me to read John chapter 8, verse 32 for a while. And this is very interesting. So this is coming from the verses that we've just read. I've read six verses here today. Look at this. And this is interesting. Here's what Jesus says. And you will know the truth. And then what does he say? And the truth will set you free. Now, I want you to understand that. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Oh, that's a big statement, isn't it? Jesus said, Kay, pag nalaman mo raw yung truth, yung truth raw will set you free. Catch it? Now, look, that's in verse 32. What's interesting here is, as we start looking at these verses, this is in verse 32, Just four verses removed from that. In verse 36, to a certain extent, Jesus says something that is somehow the same with verse 32. Here's what he says in verse 36. He says, so if the Son sets you free, come on now, you will be free indeed. Now, let me put those two verses beside each other. Verse 32 says, look at this. And you will know the truth And the truth will set you free. Same person says, Jesus himself says, in verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's interesting, isn't it? First he says, okay, if you know the truth, you will be set free. If you know the Son, you will be set free. So it gives me a picture then, now, That the question here actually is not the question of Pilate in John chapter 18, where he asked the question, what is truth? Because that is no longer the question, but the question now is, who is truth? Are you folks following this? He says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Then he says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So it gives a picture then that the truth is the sun. Right, so this is the same thing that when we've covered John chapter 1, this is actually the same thing. Jesus is referred to as the Word. So now, following these lines, if I simply look at John chapter 8, verse 32 and 36, it gives me a picture then that truth, I want you to understand context. When I was talking about post-truth a while ago, I'm pertaining to all kinds of truth in this world, but now I'm talking about different kind of truth. Jesus is simply saying here in verses 32 and 36 this, the truth is not just a statement. Truth is not just a proposition. Truth is a person. And in essence, this is what he has been saying. No wonder he says, remember what Statement keeps saying, via veritas vita. No wonder he was saying, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. So there is something that we need to understand here. So let me just try to explain this further before we go to the rest of the verses. Now, first, look at this. Remember when we started this series, Abide, and we started looking to what? John chapter 1, isn't it? In John chapter 1, we said, if you are going to read John chapter 1, you have to read Genesis chapter 1. Right? Because it says there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what we have in John chapter 1. And then we also said in Genesis chapter 1, it started the same thing, in the beginning, God. So what do we have here? What do we have here? The point here is this. In John chapter 1, and Genesis chapter 1, we understand that the Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. In this case right here, we have to understand that Jesus is the Word of truth, and Jesus is the Word and truth. Alright, so every time you think about Word, capital W, you're pertaining to Jesus. So every time we start talking about Truth, capital T, we're talking about Jesus. Now, you will understand why this is important. Why is Jesus the truth? We have to say it that way. So, Jesus is the truth. Capital T. Now, why is this important? I'd like for you to understand this. Adam and Eve in the garden was deceived with a lie. And I'd like for us to understand that Satan is called the father of lies. Jesus is is the contrast of everything that Satan is. So Jesus is the truth which stands in contrast to who Satan is, which is the father of lies. Are folks following the logic of this? Okay, let's go further. So in short, here's what we have. If I follow the logic of John chapter 1, truth then came into the world and truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we understand this? Here's the bigger question. Why did truth have to come to the world by becoming a man for all of us? So that's the bigger question. And we find the answer in John chapter 8. And In fact, that's why I was thinking a while ago where we have to start in John chapter 8. Because all the answers to this are found in John chapter 8. Okay, So I'd like for you to turn your Bibles for a while to the beginning of John chapter 8. Just go to John chapter 8. Just open your Bibles. They're laid flat before you or open your digital Bibles. You know that we're reading from the ESV. So... So that this is clear for all of us, so that you won't be confused. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, So if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. In 36, Jesus claims basically that he is the truth. So if you know Jesus, you will be set free. That's what it means. What's the context of this? Why is he talking about all of this? So we go back to John chapter 8, verse 2. Go to the second verse of John chapter 8. Okay, here's the story. The story says, Look at this. It says here, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, talking about Jesus, and the people came to him. And it says here, he sat down. Jesus sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in, who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, teacher, verse 5, now in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. So, what do you have to say? This they said to test Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Then it says here, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So, what's the story? Here's what you have. Jesus, accordingly, early in the morning, he was sitting with the many disciples. And it says here, the Pharisees and the scribes, implementer, and those who write the law, they brought a woman. And it says here, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Alright, so just imagine, I'd like for you to use your imagination. They were dragging this woman and placed it before him and told him, alright, you love teaching? According to the law of Moses such women should be stoned to death. Now, what do you have to say? That's what we find in verse 5. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say, Jesus? So here, they were referring to the law of Moses, which like what I said a while ago, is like a quote-unquote institution. It's a guardrail for them. It's something that they have to follow. So accordingly, in the law of Moses, you have to stone to death such women. Now, is there a grounds for that? Let's try to look at this. It says here Leviticus chapter twenty, verse ten: If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to put to death. Now, look at this. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-two. Check this out. It says here. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. So here's my question. Is there a grounds to what the Pharisees and scribes were saying? Is it right for them? To challenge Jesus? Is it right for them to say, to tell Jesus, oh, according to the law of Moses, specifically this law, we have to stone such women? Is there a, do they have the right to say that? The answer to that is a big yes. Bakit? Kasi it na sa inyo. Di ba? Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, sa Leviticus. Sabi dun, if a woman commits adultery, she has to be stoned to death. So the Pharisees and the scribes were doing is that they brought this woman and they wanted to challenge Jesus if he, what? If he aligns himself with the law. But there's a problem here. There is a problem here. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 and Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 22. It says here, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. In Deuteronomy, it says here, both of them shall die, the man who lays with the woman and the woman. So shall, you know, evil shall be purged in Israel. The thing here is, what was brought to Jesus was only the woman. They claimed to know the law. They claim to quote the law. But when they start enacting the law, because it says here, act of adultery. It's not like the guy went somewhere. They were caught in the act. But the thing here is, what was brought to Jesus was just the woman. So what is this called? What's what's happening here? We understand, look at this. In verse 6, what's happening here? This they did to what? This they did to? To test Jesus. They did this to test Jesus. So they wanted to know if this guy knows the law. They wanted to know if this guy aligns himself with the law. They wanted to know if this guy truly knows the law. That they brought forward only the woman. What is my point here? What's the point here? Here it is. What they did when they tested Jesus was this. They actually did the most important tactic in the evil scheme of deception, saying only half the truth. And I'd like for you to understand this. I'd like for you to understand. That Satan, like what the Bible says in John chapter 8, is actually called the father of lies. What they did was, they only said half the truth and they did all of these things on purpose. Saying only half the truth. The Pharisees were actually using just half the truth to what? To trap Jesus. You know what their problem is? Have you ever encountered something like that before? Someone comes to me. I still can remember the trauma of my elementary years when we have our math classes. You know this, the teacher makes you stand on the aisle with another student and they will do the flashcards. Oh my goodness. It's like seven times seven. You need to answer. I mean, I'm great too. How should I know that? But the problem is some of my classmates actually know the answer. <laughs> and you know, and every time you answer, you have to step forward until you get to the table of the teacher and you win it. And the other one gets to be embarrassed. Have you ever been grilled with something like that? Isn't it when you're grilled with such heavy questions, you start panicking? Uh, uh, And sometimes when you start panicking, all the more you lose the answers. They wanted to do the same thing to Jesus, to test him, to find fault in him. You know what the problem is? They didn't know that they're talking to truth himself. They started presenting half the truth. But they didn't know that they're talking to whole truth, absolute truth himself. And so Jesus actually wasn't rattled. Here's a dangerous thing with half-truth. The dangerous thing with half-truth is this. It always has the appearance of truth, but it is still one big fat lie. And that is what they were doing. So what happened here? You know, while I was working on this, I was actually smiling, you know, imagining these things. You know, sometimes Jesus is actually funny. I don't know if you've ever thought of Jesus actually funny. Look at this. Instead of saying something, you know what he does? Look at this. Here's what he does. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. You know how annoying and irritating that is? You're asking someone, a man bends down and starts writing. It was like Kebs. He starts writing on the ground. So he starts writing on the ground. And if you follow the narrative, it's actually interesting because... There is a result to that. When he starts writing on the ground, on the second time, they started leaving one by one accordingly. So, ang tanong dito, anong sinulat niya sa ground? What did Jesus write on the ground? Okay, look at this. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, look at this one. They went away one by one. So if I start reading something like that, you start asking the question, what is it? What was it that he has written on the ground? That's an important thing to ask. Interestingly, if you look at this, I would say that whatever it is that he has written on the ground, it should be something powerful, isn't it? I mean, their fists were clenched, they have wraps on their hands. And they're ready to stone this woman to death. And suddenly they left. What is it that Jesus has written on the ground? Interestingly, we understand though that the Bible is actually silent with what Jesus wrote on the ground. But we have some clues together with some scholars to tell us what Jesus wrote on the ground. When he started writing, people start living for that matter. And scholars would say that what Jesus actually wrote on the ground were the Ten Commandments. He wrote the Ten Commandments. So it took a while, perhaps, writing on the ground. He started writing the Ten Commandments. And the first time he did this, he challenged them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now look at this. Look at verse 7. It says here, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them. So here's the picture. They brought the woman. All right. They brought the woman, charged the woman, asked Jesus. Jesus bent and started writing on the ground. He stood up, and they still continued grilling and asking him. That's the picture. Because in verse 7, they continued to ask him, and he stood up and said. So what writing on the ground would support those words when Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first who thrown the stone at her? Obviously, it's the Ten Commandments. Now, here's how we have to understand this. Isn't it that the Ten Commandments are divided into two halves? The first half is talking about our relationship with God. The second half of the Ten Commandments talks about our relationship with each other. Our relationship with our neighbor. Here's what happened. The first time, the first time, because how many times did he bend on the ground? Twice, right? It says here, look at this one. Verse 6, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Verse 8, and once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. So that's important because on the first one, they didn't leave. Amaba? On the second one, they started living. So let's look at the first half of the Ten Commandments. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7 to 12. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and all the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. He bent the first time, started writing these things. But guess what? The onlookers, you're talking about what? Pharisees and scribes. What are you talking about, Jesus? Volunteerism in the church? Ha, ha, ha. Perfect. Sabbath day, oh my goodness. We are there at 6 in the morning. Earlier than the Asherites. What are you talking about? Taking the name of the Lord in vain. We're so perfect in that. In fact, scribes would do purification rituals before they start writing. Before they start writing the word Yahweh. Before they start, they have to do purification rituals to do that. So, they were unnerved. They were chilled. Saying that Jesus was chilled. Because for them, my goodness, you're talking about the most righteous people in the land. We love God according to the law. If that is a measure of my love for God, we love God then. We're talking about religious people, religious to the core. But like what I said, Jesus bent twice. He bent twice. The second time he bent, once more. The first time they were not affected they kept trapping Jesus, and here's what happens in verse 8: and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. What did he write? Second part of the Ten Commandments. And here's what you have: it says, your honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. You know what I'm talking about? They start to about, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Oops. So what happened here was that when he started reading on the ground the second part of the commandments, guess what? Wala na silang luzot. Wala ng lusot yung religiosity nila. They realized that, oh my goodness, what do we have here? The trappers are now the ones who are trapped by the whole truth himself. By truth himself. Meaning to say, their tactics backfired on them. half truth met its worst enemy, and that is absolute truth. The whole truth in the person of Jesus. In checking themselves against the Ten Commandments, they must have realized that they have broken at least one of these last few commandments in the Ten Commandments. And thus they are what? Sinners themselves. And thus, because they are sinners themselves, they have lost their right to hurt and harm a fellow sinner. What happened? Because of that, they realized that they were sinners themselves. In verse 9, it says here, they went away one by one. Catch it? I'd like for you to imagine the scenario. They were leaving the rocks behind. They left one by one. But it says here, beginning with someone. There was a group of people who left first. It says here, beginning with the older ones. Nothing against you older folks. But it says here, beginning with the older ones. Why? Because the older you are, the bigger the probability that you have violated the Ten Commandments. So these older ones started living. It's because half truth collided with the absolute truth, for that matter. And guess what? The adulterous one then was what? Was saved from her sure and certain. Guess what, friends? If Jesus didn't write on the ground, in two minutes' time, she would have been dead. People were ready to kill him with a good grounds, on a good basis, for that matter, until Jesus came in. Come on now. Until Jesus intervened. What do we have here? Here's what Jesus said. In John chapter 8, verse 10 to 11, Jesus stood up the second time and said to her, Woman, where are they? As if he doesn't know, no? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. From now on, go and sin no more. So that's the story in John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. What happened there? What happened there? What happened in that story? You know what happened in that story? Here's what happened in that story John chapter 8, verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 36 happened in that story. That's why Jesus said, So if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So if the sun sets you free, you will be freed. In short, here's a summary of that entire story if you encounter Jesus, you will be set free. The interesting thing here is, the truth of the matter is, it's not just the woman who was set free here. The woman, the adulterous woman, was set free from sure and certain death, isn't it? But she was not the only one who was set free. A group of people was also set free, albeit temporarily. And I'm talking about what? The Pharisees and the scribes, actually. Why? Because they realized something that their religious hypocrisy, their legalistic hypocrisy actually is the same thing with what? The licentious adultery of the woman. So they were set free actually to a certain extent but the one who had the real encounter here was the woman. And this is what we have in John chapter 8 verse 32. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You have two groups of sinners here and I guarantee you you could actually put yourself in either of those categories. Two groups of sinners here. One, okay, you have what? You have the adulterer, the licentious adulterer, and you also have the what? The legalistic hypocrites. If you look at that, these are actually twins. Pareho lang yan? Walang pinag These are actually called the twins, uh, the twin sons or daughters of depravity. Licentiousness and legalism. Licentiousness and legalism. They're actually both the same. Why? For some reasons. Number one, both of them justify themselves. Alright? In what sense? Legalistic people would say, according to my high standards, I did right and you are wrong. That's what they do. That's what legalistic hypocrisy will do. They would make use of the law like what the Pharisees and scribes did. To what? To condemn people. But guess what? The truth of the matter is, this is how it should be done. You use the law to what? To convict people in order to lead them to life. Not to crush their spirits, not to condemn them. Because at the end of the day, we are not in a position to condemn anyone. Because Jesus is the only judge. But I'm telling you, I'm not saying that you don't judge people because judging people is actually biblical that you have to tell people if you need to correct people, you have to rebuke people, it's actually fine. It's actually biblical. In fact, I don't know if you know this church discipline and excommunication from the church is actually biblical. When people are unrepentant of their sins. But my point here is, at the end of the day, we're talking about the motives of legalistic people. If they compare other people's mistakes with their high standards, then that's something wrong. And licentiousness is actually the same thing. Licentious people would say, according to my quote-unquote low standards, I did nothing wrong. Ikaw judgmental ka. That's what licentiousness would do to us. Both are based on what? On their own standards. But listen, we have to understand that we only have one standard, and that is what? The Word of God. That's why I was saying a while ago, we live in a post-truth world, and it's very important for us to realize that because at the end of the day, as Christians as Christians. I just did a wedding a few days ago. We've asked the couple to lay their hands in the Bible and say that all matters of conduct, values, and morality should be based on the Word of God. Because this is our boundary. This is our guardrails. This is our standard. I want you to understand this as a Christian. If you are word deficient, what will happen to you? You lose your standards. No wonder you lose your morality. If you feed yourself with social media more than God's word as a Christian, then magiging malab your truth becomes diluted for that matter. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you look at this one, if you abide in my word, because like what I said, the word is the truth. The truth is the word. Jesus is the word and the truth. Jesus is the word of truth. So if you abide in the word, you abide in Jesus. Come on now. Then Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then truly you are my disciple. So let me just put it this way. What is an evidence that you're truly a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ if you abide in his word? Come on now. I don't know where you will be five years, ten years from now. If you're going to move out of Dumaguete, you go attend a different church. I want you to understand if what is being taught is progressive Christianity and liberal Christianity. I want you to understand this, we have to stand firm on God's whole counsel or God's whole truth for that matter. I'd like for it to be so picky with these things, because this is important, your spiritual diet is important. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's interesting because Jesus used the word abide, and you say abide, abide is a constant thing. You abide in your what? Come on now, where do you usually abide? You abide in your abode. You go do your staycation in Darwin. You go do your staycation in Cebu. You go do your staycation in Palawan or Manila. You love the hotel fields. You love, oh, you love the automatic whatever it's, it's there. You love the comforter. You love the strong aircon. But at the end of the day, what do you say? There's no place like home. You'd still miss the mongos of your mom. You'd still miss the bulad. You'd still miss the what? The scent of your brother. Why? Because we abide in our abode. So if you are truly Jesus' disciple, then you abide in God's Word. You feed yourself with all sorts of things in the classroom. You feed yourself with all sorts of things from social media. But at the end of the day, this is your go-to. This is your main diet. And I'm saying this because, like what I said a while ago, you know, a post truth society is making its way in the churches. It's changing the religious landscape. And I hope and pray, come on now, I hope and pray that we will not be what? We will not be gospel deficient Christians in victory, Dumaguete, amen? That we will always get into God's Word. It's interesting because Jesus said, You are truly my disciples. That is where you stay, that is where you will be sustained, that is where you will grow, that is where you are protected from sin. The church is a means of grace. Come on now. I hope and pray that you will not let loose of your zeal, your passion for the church. Because it will be easier to make a conclusion that you will backslide if you don't have the church. Look at this one. Look at verse 34. It says here, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Here's the thing. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. That's interesting. Because it says here, ang slave to sin, it does not stay on and off lang. Gana gana lang si Lord. Sunday hype. Hey Lord, because of praise and worship. Ni YouTube pa yung song na kinan nakanina. Yung slave to sin raw, yung love kay Lord, nagdi The slave to sin, accordingly, he doesn't remain in the house forever. The love for God is fecal. The love for God is but fragile. The love for God is what? Can easily be exchanged by something that is worthless out there. But it says here, the Son remains forever. If you truly are a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you truly are a child of God, if you have been truly birthed again in the Spirit, then you will love God. Whatever it takes, you're going to give it all your to God. All the resources, the energy. You're going to drug yourself, even church. Why? Because this is how much I love God. You don't look at these things as duty because of the love that you have for the God that you worship. If someone is a slave to sin, you're talking about someone who simply loves truths or preaching that will comfort him. But a slave to sin will hate the truth when it starts correcting him, when it starts convicting him. But we have to understand that that is supposedly how it works. In verse 43, it says here, Why do you who are slaves to sin, not understand what I say. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And here's what he says. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out his own character for he is a liar and what? The father of lies. Before we became Christians, that's our default. We love half-truths. We love that which only tickles. We love that which only makes us comfortable. We love that which is only convenient. Jesus said, in this case, we become lovers of lies. Look at this. Slaves do not remain in the house forever. Slaves do not remain in the house forever. If you are here and you are a slave to sin, and you don't repent of your sin, and submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ, it will only take you six months and you're out of this church. It will only take you a year and you're out of this church, simply because you are a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the Son remains forever, so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed it says here the son remains forever so how do you become a son and a daughter of god john chapter 8 verse 32 john chapter 8 verse 36 so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed so if you know the truth the truth will set you free you want to be a son of god you want to be a daughter of god have an encounter with the truth an encounter with jesus himself. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.